Hello and welcome to part two of our three-part series dedicated to International Women's Day. Today we talk to Stephanie Asher as well as discuss what happens when your new recruit isn't performing and just some steps that you can work through as an employer. So welcome to the show. Welcome to Harvest Recruitment's Seeds for Success show, where successful managers and experts share their insights to help you recruit and retain the right people in your organisation. Now here's your host, Marie Harris. Hello, my name is Marie Harith and I'm Director of Harvest Human Resources and Harvest Recruitment and our aim is to assist managers attract, select and retain the right people in their organisation. But in today's show, we're taking a little bit of a diversion and we're just looking at celebrating women as we lead up to International Women's Day. So I've hand-selected, hand-picked some women leaders who I'm aware of and who um, have inspired me in some way, shape or form, and we've invited them to be guests on our show. And I was initially planning to do a montage, um, three interviews, one show, but our interviews kind of got a little bit long. So we've got one interview per show. And today I'm pleased to have as our guest, Stephanie Asher. Stephanie is a key um, personality in the Geelong region. Um, and I say she meteorically rose to, fr- to fame, that's a mouthful, um, when she ran for the mayoral election in 2012. And since then, she's been um, a spokesperson, community stakeholder in a lot of projects, as well as running her own business, which is a um, public relations and more so management consulting firm um, where she consults to clients, either assisting them with their annual report or sustainable sustainability reports. Yeah, so it was good to have a a chat with her and I look forward to you hearing her story towards the end of the show or in the big chunk in the middle of the show. But before we go into the show, I'd like you to just think about a couple of things and a couple of themes. Um, One thing that Stephanie touches on um, in her interview is getting the people around you and she's ran independently in her own business, independently in politics. So she's actually quite accustomed to flying solo. And probably the biggest team that she's got around her is in support of her election campaigns. And um, she said how you know having a paid team versus a voluntary team is quite different. Uh, so just have a think as we move on to different phases of the program. Remember those shape sorters, um, any of you with babies or you've all been a baby, um, but the shape sorters that usually become part of the toy stock stock holding of parents um probably between six months and a year old where you've got your triangle you've got your star you've got your circle and you've got your square um and if you go into those more complex ones then you've got the hexagonal one and you know all different shapes that you have to try and fit into this shape sorter and you see the babies even at six months when they get that triangle and they're putting trying to put it in the, the round circle slot and it's not going in and they're pushing it and they're getting frustrated and some persist and go through and find the triangle hole whereas others just have their first tanties or um, tantrums and they just get extremely frustrated because this 
triangle piece is not going into the circle hole. Um, likewise, in any time you are gathering teams around you, there's going to be times where it just clicks round peg, round hole, square peg, square hole, and everything goes along perfectly. But there's all, also those times when you do actually get the wrong fit and what you do when you get the wrong fit. So um, Stephanie's probably learnt through her experiences and um, who knows, I might be able to help her later on in the year. Um, and also most employers have that um, situation where they've got most of the team right and then there's just that one square peg in the round hole and or round peg in the square hole, whichever you want to say, um, which people are challenged by. So we're covering a few of those themes, particularly in the listener question, as well as Stephanie touching on it later on in the show. Um, but enough of me, let's get on with it. I think you know the drill. So we've got um, what's happening in the forum, listener questions, our events, and of course, the interview with Stephanie. And that's celebrating International Women's Day. Let's go. Today on the show, we'll be covering um, what's in the forum and we'll be talking through some of the subjects that have um, made headlines in Harvest HR World. We'll also talk about um, a listener question, which is when good goes bad and what to do um, when your new recruit isn't performing quite to standard. And we'll be discussing our upcoming events. We've got a few upcoming events and um, general feedback as well as our interview with Stephanie Asher. So uh, we look forward to having your company and likewise we hope you're looking forward to having ours for the next 40, 45 minutes, maybe a little bit longer. Um, and yeah, so we should get on with the show without further ado. In my introduction, I talked about companies that are going through change, um, or also you might have changes just within your organization, within your staff lineup itself. And today we've got a listener question, which is what happens when your new recruit is not performing to expectations? And you'll see in the interview a little bit later on with Stephanie Asher, um, she has to, um, engage volunteers, I guess, for want of a better word, um, when it comes to the election campaign. And um, she's a very trusting soul, Stephanie, which you'll learn again um, later on in the show. But the thing that happens with a lot of well-meaning volunteers is they all put up their hand saying, yes, I'm behind you. But then when you turn around, half aren't there and they're not, in fact, following you and they're not supporting you. And that also happens in business where you bring people on to do a certain task and they're not quite performing what you've set out for them to achieve. So what should you do? In a situation when you've brought the new person on, you do have what's called the three-month probationary period. By law, um, it's covered. It's usually in most employment contracts, which is a three-month probationary period, under which time it's a weighing up of the employee on the employer, but also the um, employer, of course, on the employee. So they're both, both parties are weighing up, is this what I thought it would be. Um, so the employees weighing up, is this the company, the team, the environment and the role that I thought it was going to be? And the employers weighing up the employee to say, 
is this the person that I want in the team who's delivering the outcomes that I need um, for my division or for the company overall? So in that time, you really get a good opportunity to go through, first of all, the initial training with the um, new recruit. And then there'll be a time where it's training moves towards activity. And it's in that time that you start to weigh up, is the person doing the task that you set out for them to achieve. And I would strongly recommend that as an employer that you have some key measures of performance uh, right from the get-go that your new recruit is aiming to achieve. So um, in sales, it's usually activity targets, which then leads to sales targets. Uh, in operations, it's a certain output. Um, in the warehouse or transport environment, it'd be a certain amount delivered to customers. Um, in accounting, it would be the timely de- delivery of um, re- finance and reporting figures. It might be projections within a certain time frame. There's a whole host of key measures that you can put on staff. And so my suggestion and my um, recommendation is to make sure that you've got those in writing um, so that the staff member is well and truly aware of the expectations that are on them. So usually at about the six to eight week mark is really when you're starting to see which way it's going to go. Are we heading in the right direction? Um, Are we moving from um, the learning phase to the doing phase and are the signs good in terms of delivery for the future? Um, or are we continually stuck in the learning phase rut, which is um, where the information is given, passed to the employee, and the employee is still performing as they were in their first two, three weeks on the job. So you'll be assessing this as they're moving on in their probationary period. It is up to the employer to see if they are challenged at all, if there's anything that they have issue with, if they're lacking support or resources to do their job. So if there's anything from a company infrastructure perspective that's getting in the way or if there's training needs that are there. So you will bring people on at a certain level within an organisation, whether they are at that trainee level or if they are um, at the mid-level or senior level and Every level has certain expectations in terms of the learning curve and the delivery curve. Um, So with that in hand, you'll be starting to make some some judgments on how that employee is performing um, from a delivery perspective and also how they're fitting with the business overall. Um, Are they gelling with the team? Are they you know, looking to be, you know, the, the right attributes fit, we could say, for the company. If they are not, then this is the time that those meetings need to occur. Um, the one-on-ones, the discussions, the directives um, from the employer. We, we're in this age where um, we've been taught not to to um, be too formal, that, you know, to get the employee engagement, we need to have the behaviours rest on them for the delivery. And so as an employer, we do get confused. So what, what can and we can't say? What's going to generate um, a motivated employee and what's going to um, go the other way? However, we are also bound by rules and regulations, in particular the um, Fair Work Act and the National Employment Standards 
which are national codes, laws and regulations that govern employment in Australia. So I'll just um, take one paragraph, and it's a big topic, um, but one paragraph which is talking about dismissals and um, a small business employer, so let's talk about small businesses first of all, um, must give the employee a valid reason based on their capacity or conduct to do the job. Um, to do the job if they are at risk of being dismissed. The employee must be warned verbally or preferably in writing that they risk being dismissed if there is no improvement. Further, the employer must provide the employee with an opportunity to respond to the warning and give them a reasonable chance to rectify the problem. Having regard to the employee's response, Rectifying the problem might involve the employer providing additional training and ensuring the employee knows the employer's job expectations. So that the part of that clause, and um, there's more requirements on a larger employer um, and they have to go through more process and protocol, um, otherwise a larger employer would be at risk of um, unfair dismissal if they do not go through the motions. But the thing, big thing um, in that clause is letting them know that the future is limited, um, You know, not to be a soft manager even though you want to be um, – you know, not as blunt or direct, um, but the employee needs to know well and truly where they stand. So improved performance means you keep your job. Um, keeping on as is um, will mean your dismissal. Um, it's harsh, it's cruel, but it's it's very direct and there's no room for interpretation then. And I think they're the things that do come up uh, in terms of unfair dismissals in the bigger companies is nobody told me that it was that serious. Um, and that quite often would be um, a rebuttal from um, the defendant um, if it were taken to, to the courts. So just some points there. Um, the Fair Work Ombudsman and Fair Work Australia have a host of information uh, on their website. There's lots of things around um, the termination of employees. There's um, fact sheets. Um, it talks about what is unfair dismissal, what is unlawful termination, um, should an employee be given notice of termination and when, and what are the notice periods Um and what entitlements are owing, uh, redundancy, and any further information. So the Fair Work Ombudsman, uh, is, which is just at fairwork.gov.au, um, will show you all of the information that, that you probably need if you've got that situation where it's not going down the right path. Um, for all intents and purposes, you wanted it to, um, but you have to make the call to release the person um, and what you need to do then. I trust this helps. Have you connected with Harvest Recruitment and Harvest Human Resources yet? If not, we'd love to hear from you and hear your thoughts and comments, particularly if you've been listening to the podcast. It would be great to hear what you're thinking and if you're getting some tips for recruitment and HR from the show. Just to let you know where you can find us, first of all, we've got two two-way dialogue streams. 
One is our LinkedIn group, which is Harvest HR. The other is our Facebook fan page, Harvest Recruitment. And you'll find also a lot of information. Um, it's more one way, but there's a lot of information, a lot of tools and a lot of resources on our website, harvesthr.com.au. So whether you'd like to get involved with some dialogue, we put some questions up there in um, Facebook world. We also um, put some blogs up and we're definitely open to hearing um, people's feedback on our blogs um, as well as on LinkedIn, whichever is your um, preferred mode of communicating. Um, or you can just pick up the phone, 1300 363 128. Um, and yeah, we'd be delighted to have your feedback. Um, we're into March. So um, obviously International Women's Day is the theme of the moment. And a lot of our um, information is relating to the theme. Uh, we're also helping um, employers as they're starting to um, identify the right fit. So we talked just recently in the listener question of what happens if the person that you think is right is wrong. Um, now we're going to cover um, in our forums and in our breakfast briefing, um, candidate sourcing today um, and also um, making the right selection decision, which is coming up in a couple of months. So they're the sorts of themes that we've got on hand. Um, we'll be at a number of events of events in March. So we look forward to seeing you there. So um, listen in for the events segment coming right up. We've got some interesting feedback. We've got some good and, and some that we just want to share um, as a matter of course with the audience. Um, first of all, um, we were working with an organisation that hadn't used us before and we took baby steps at the start. Uh, bit by bit, we assisted them with their recruitment needs. They're growing quite rapidly and have won large contracts, large projects. And um, we took a brief for quite a senior role um, the other day and we had a fantastic meeting with the operations manager. Um, he prefaced the meeting with, I don't want to set you up to fail. And so the briefing was extensive. It was detailed. No stone was left unturned. And we got a really good feel for the requirement, not only the um, technical brief, but also the person and the values fit for the organisation, which that company was very strongly um, well, would uphold. Um, they, they see as the people that they've made mistakes on in the past have been not quite a values fit. So when we're dealing with companies who wish to outsource their recruitment, that is the perfect brief that you can give a recruitment consultancy. Um, we have another client who, again, trying us out, we've worked with another division of the company and have done a fantastic job, but the other division, they don't know us as yet. Um, and that briefing was a 10-minute briefing. And um, they wanted us to work exclusively on the job. And so we suggested a follow-up meeting and they did not wish to have a follow-up meeting. So we have a written position description, not really an idea of a values fit for the company um, and not really a company that's got a vested interest in either 
the working relationship or potentially us delivering a successful result. Um, so it's interesting to see what companies do when they're stuck um, because both companies are stuck in their recruitment. Um, one's given away the farm almost, you know, they've they've told us every single thing we need to know in order to have an intimate understanding of the organisation, how they tick, how they work and the people that they need to achieve the results. Company B, on the other hand, um, has got a bit of a checkered reputation at the moment. Um, they've gone through a significant change and restructure um, and a lot of candidates are a little bit wary of them as an employer and they're the ones also with a need and have not given detailed briefing and it will be interesting to see what the result will be if we can um, nurture the relationship and convince them that um, you know, it's it's a partnership that's worthwhile and then potentially pursue to gain further information on the brief um, or it will just fall away if there's not that um, dual commitment to the process. Um, so something to consider if you are thinking about outsourcing your recruitment, um, be mindful that you've got a supplier that needs to learn about you. They are, don't they don't come from within the organisation, so they don't know as intimately what you know. Um, so you do need to brief them. And the, the d more detailed your brief, the better chance that your outsourced recruitment provider will have of being successful in the placement of that role. It now gives me great pleasure to welcome Stephanie Asher as our guest today. I first saw Stephanie as she ran for the mayoral election in 2012. Um, yeah, she impressed me. Um, she was someone who came across very natural. Um, there was no... Um, there was no facade with Stephanie, I guess, and um, she became a crowd favourite along the way. And, um, yeah, so um, Stephanie's come from a um, public relations background um, with communications as her strong suit, um, started life early in a um, PR company, and then at the age of 27, I think, she started her own PR consulting business and she do, does a lot um, with uh, company communications, assist them in writing their annual reports um, and other um, corporate documents. And when the Merrill campaign started, um, Stephanie went, no one's putting their hand up. Everyone wanted this and no one's putting their hand up. So she went, I'm going to put my hand up. And um, so she's not your um, sort of heritage councillor who's been sort of born into a council or political family. Um, she's just decided to um, put her hand up. She's passionate about the community, passionate about um, standing up for a better way of doing things. Um, she doesn't subscribe to um, formal um, political views um, and is very much apolitical in her views. So some of her views support um, the coalition, some don't, some are green, some don't. Um, and, yeah, so she's she's kind of got that independent streak and um, she will be um, running in a not pure independent but in a um, 
partly independent. So it's a, a co co-independent party. I don't know exactly, but we'll see that coming up later in the year because she's running for the Western region in state politics. Um, but without further ado, I can I can introduce all I like, but let's hand it over and listen to Stephanie Asher. Okay, I'm here with Stephanie Asher, who I came to know Stephanie when she um, launched her mayoral campaign for the mayor for Geelong, um, and she did wonders. She won over the the audience. She won over the uh, the the whole campaign. I think she she was the dark horse, um, <laughs> and then. Knew. <laughs> and then came um, mayoral round number two, and Stephanie again voted very strongly with the polls. And I've just admired this lady's standing in the community. And I asked her if she'd come for an interview and she said, yes, I would. So welcome, Stephanie. Thank you very much, Ray. I'm delighted and very honoured to be invited. So Stephanie, just um, walk us through your journey so far. I'm very intrigued about the the, the journey behind the woman. So tell us more. It is funny because a couple of speakers briefs they've asked me, so tell us, you know, to where you, where you are now. And I thought, First of all, where am I now? Where am I now to other people in their, in their mind? Because to myself, you know, I'm now sitting here racing up the highway to Melbourne and Melbourne Geelong working as a management consultant. I've got, you know, a lot of really quite big uh, world class clients. So I define myself as a management consultant and yet the newspaper continually refers to me as an ocean grove mum. So I'm just a mum and that's great. I like being a mum. And I was having coffee with someone the other day who, like quite a few people, has got a community issue and he's thinks I work for Darren Lyons and he said well you know me as a small business operator and you as a as a as a community celebrity <laughs> I just thought isn't it funny that's a, that's um, a good title can yeah. I take that one as well <laughs> absolutely and someone else one of the um sort of old school politicians a current member described me as a political aspirant and I thought yeah, isn't it hilarious I don't know where I am now <laughs> and the journey to getting there I think is just a series of you know stumbles and turns and decisions that you make but I do feel that I just try and take every opportunity that comes up and that's probably where the shift in profile changed mm. in terms of the first mayoral campaign because as a PR person I've always been running newspaper articles and making sure people get in the paper just not myself so yes. to me it was really just that shift of oh well I need to sort of prove that I can do this yeah. um, beyond just other other companies and things. So you've been the voice behind other people right. and now you're the voice of yourself. That's right yeah, yeah. I actually had to get up on stage and do the public speaking thing which I, I defined that that was actually the fear that stopped a lot of people stepping up. I couldn't understand why there was so much sort of restive comment and restlessness in the community, particularly through the Leaders for Geelong program, people saying, you know, we need to change this, we need to shake up Geelong and bring in the new guard and yet there's the opportunity and nobody's stepped nobody forward. It's like why on earth aren't we stepping forward? And I thought, well, it probably is just that fear, fear of the unknown, fear of no process, but given it was the first direct election, nobody knew how to do it. So yes. There was not like we're standing, you weren't standing up against Jeff Kennett or Barack Obama, for goodness sake. The, the candidates were lovely, but nobody knew any better than anybody else. So yeah, it yeah. was a great opportunity. So, yeah, just taking opportunities is, yeah. is, I suppose, what I've been doing for the last, how old are I? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I'm old enough not to So you've been taking opportunities, just not the last three years that we've seen you, but every like opportunity that's been there in life, yeah, you've, you've right. gone for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so tell us a little bit about the Proving Ground. 
Was there any sort of pivotal moments, pivotal choices you made in your career? Yeah, I think one of the ones when I saw this question, I thought probably the first point was 15, 17 years old when I looked at what are the options with careers and my dad was a um, senior exec with Ford. So he'd spent probably nine months of the year travelling overseas and I looked at that and thought, yeah, yeah, whether I like doing that sort of thing or not, that's not open to me if I want a family. So it's the how do I fit kids in to life. You thought that at 15, 17. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like we're well, having to think what am I going to do. That's a forward thinker. I was going, <laughs> I'm not up one day. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did narrow it down to, you know, well, I do, I do want to have kids. I wasn't one of those people I'm desperate to have kids now mm. um, but I did know that yeah I absolutely want to be part of a family and create a family so work had to fit in around that and I looked at I think I narrowed it down to publishing personnel and public relations because I, I was a writer or yep. as a writer I could get English I could get an A for English without reading any books in fact I did a lot so it's like what, what just comes naturally and uh, yeah quite good with people even though I was cripplingly shy um, mm. well into my 20s and when I picked public relations, I thought that's partly because you can do it as a consultant and that gives the flexibility, you can run your own client base, you can work your own hours, you can work it from home, you can work it on site and I just thought that actually stacks up in a whole lot of ways. Yeah. So, yeah, and it proved to be a really good decision, yep. hopefully, but you don't know what you don't know, yeah. do you? <laughs> so you landed a career, were you, were you in the press? Was Were you working for a newspaper itself? No, no, I was in a public relations consultancy, started out, that was my first job and then I took another, took a sort of a sideways leap, I suppose, to managing a publishing firm just to do the book publishing part just to knock that out of my system and understand it a bit better and then realised you know what I could do all of this myself and started my own business at 27. Okay. So yeah and I've just been consulting since then yeah. and spending time sometimes it's up to two years on site um, occasionally I'll mm. do something like that but I typically end up running a few clients at the same time. And it's the flexibility that you were after from the yeah. get-go. Yeah that's right. Very and good. And I get to be able to work from home and I yeah. can you know, the kids get involved. I can't wait till they're old enough that I can actually pay them because they're all really good. <laughs> they're already really good. It's like I need you to be doing that and you to run That's the diary. Right. And <laughs> you see it at the start. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, now, what was the proving ground for you? Were, were there Was there any um, challenges that you had on the way? Yeah, I think corporate, working in high-end corporates, you know, I've worked at GE Money, I've worked at BHP Billiton and that really top-level corporate experience is very political and I think that whole sort of playground of the corporate world and you know it isn't isn't too dissimilar to a kindergarten in a lot of ways <laughs> and also having children as yeah. well and not only your own family dynamic and learning to be a better manager of fresh minds you know they're not actually corrupted when they're when they're children so you realize that what you put in is really what creates them so unlike the jaded um, practice political uh, animals for want of a better word in um, the top end of politics and yep. corporate life the kids do actually do things much more naturally but I, things like understanding even just in the playground um, the, the bullying from the kids it isn't really from the kids it's the parents you know and you see that I saw projected that. on the kids yeah well even just the actual bullying that goes on in prep the kids haven't been there long enough to assert themselves and really create those behaviors but the parents do it in the pickup you know the clicks and the cold shoulders and the back turning yep. and who's chatting to who and is my child having a play date with your child and you think oh my word this is where it starts yeah so yeah just understanding all those sorts of things are really important the way they translate so in the political 
or the corporate environment. How did you adapt to that? Because to actually represent them with mm. a message without having that message, I guess, um, tarnished by your own thinking yeah, of well, how they're playing, um, how do you do that? In how the did you adapt? In the corporate world it's a lot easier because I'm quite uh, – contained in the role that I'll be doing. So I do a lot of annual report writing, a lot of sustainability reporting, and so that's very grounded in facts Mm -hmm. and very grounded in reality. I don't do spin. I did do a lot of media work when I was first started out in PR and I don't enjoy the media relations. I don't enjoy doing the um, let's all pretend that this walnut company is actually saving people's cholesterol issues because we know it's not. And ethically I I didn't enjoy the spin part of it. So my PR is very much about performance reporting and accountability. So that's not difficult in that sense. And in the yeah. political arena, I'm an independent, so I don't have to say anybody's line. So it's very much. Yeah. And that's what stopped me joining a party. Yes. Because I don't. Like I, to toe the party I line don't toe the party For that line. sake alone. That's right. I never will. I will always um, be contained about a corporate message and I understand key messaging mm. and I understand that. But I, if I don't agree with it, then I'll thrash that out behind closed doors. But yes. in the political arena... And this was what was really interesting, running as an independent in the federal campaign. That's right. That was the 2012, 2013 campaign. And that was really interesting, just watching how the party people spun their lines. And it it got, it it, it is really not interesting to listen to (laughs) because they they don't answer the question. They just try and trot it out. So it doesn't make sense. And as someone who... I stood because I wanted to understand how the federal policy mapped down to the local community level. Like really, I could see it in the health sector. I'd worked in the health sector. How mm. the altruistic policy is fantastic, but it gets corrupted so badly along the way that it doesn't end up translating to the patient at all. Yeah. Um, people are making money along the way, building empires along the way, doing all sorts of things that have nothing to do with the original policy. So I was really interested to see, okay, how does this actually work? And they never had to address it. Because when they're having what, because I got a lot of heat about, you know, we want to hear your policies, you need to be strong on policies. And what are you actually asking me here? Because as an independent, I can't make promises and deliver on them because unless I've got the balance of power. And even then, it's on the day. What are we deciding? What's in front of us and how do we decide this? It's not what's my platform. What people want to know is what's your position on gay marriage? There's about 20 key points that you need to have a platform on. Yeah, what's your platform on asylum seekers and what's your platform on parental paid parental leave? And I was listening to the party folk spinning their lines and I'd done quite a bit of reading and because I did have all my policies listed and still do on my website, um, my position on all the major policies and my ideas of what things could be, how things could be improved and what could be done. But they would answer them and there was no, no logic in it and they weren't even finished off. The theories weren't finished. You know, paid parental leave, they hadn't resolved where that was coming from. Mm. They hadn't actually investigated, is that what people want? Do they want that paid leave or do they want a nanny when they return to work? You know, that's what I was finding, talking to people. It's like, I don't need the money when I'm on leave. My company already covers that. What I need is the flexibility when I get back to work so that I can manage to still do my job and not lose ground to other people, you know, climbing into Phil. So a lot of it hadn't been investigated. They still haven't resolved it. The legislation around it. The legislation around it all. Look at the asylum seeker situation. Mm, so mm. you're sitting there as a candidate on a panel getting asked questions about your policies. Mm. It's like, what a nonsense that is. <laughs> so so you went for the mayoral election in 2012, the federal 2013. Yep. 
And again, later in 2013, why not? Let's go for Mayor again. No, I sort of had to, didn't I? That was unexpected. That <laughs> really hurt the bank balance, that one, I can tell you, because it was another... Because it's self-funded, isn't it, absolutely. the campaigns? Yeah, yeah. so absolutely. Um, the decision was it's another six weeks of not taking salary. I've been batting clients away for four months anyway, saying I need to focus on the federal campaign, which was self-funded. Mm. And What um, prompted you to go for the federal to understand it better. I mean, I've got a lot of people saying, oh, it's your strategy. You know, you don't know what you're doing. You should run in the state election in the Bellarine seat. That's marginal, blah, 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 for a party, blah, blah, blah. And I think, yeah, and joining a party would be my first move. That would be intelligent, wouldn't it? That wouldn't brand me for life. <laughs> so I kind of think, no, no, I, I will do what people don't expect me to do yeah. and learn in a place that was fairly safe. It was obviously it's a very safe Labor seat in the Karaya seat where yeah. I ran. So if I'd run in Karangamite, um, that's a marginal seat. That would have been incredibly high profile. Like yes. It would have been... I could have been pivotal in what happened there. I didn't really want to get in anybody's way. I didn't want to spoil anybody. Yeah. It's it's not about Imagine that. if you took some of the votes, Steph. It would have been a completely different Gosh, I know. I, I result in Karangamite because it was so knife-edge. Absolutely. Yeah. And for people who say, you know, she's all about herself and she's a profile secret, it's like, really, if I'd wanted that, I would have run in Karangamite. Yeah. But it was I, just to learn. It was learn to learn, how... fairly safely learn. If I could make it a little yeah. bit more marginal, I knew I wouldn't make a huge difference, but if I could marginalise that seat, even a little bit then that gets more for Geelong because it's such a safe seat that nobody really shouldn't say this because that's you know disrespectful to the sitting member but you know he works very hard but how much is Geelong actually getting from being a safe seat that's what it was about for me yeah yeah and uh, yeah it was great it's good fun good (laughs) masochist that I am (laughs) so you had to bat off work and now you've got it coming in a flood which is fantastic um because we're heading into an international women's day I have to ask the question do you reflect on being a woman in your space and yeah, does it work for you? Are you ambivalent about that subject? Tell it's, us more. It's really interesting because up until probably this, uh, because I am standing in a state election at the end of the year as well and with a with the mutual party, which is a collection of independents. So I am going through the political thing again, but I've said to them, you know, really I can't do anything until the end of June. Um, but in that idea of being in the political sphere and not wanting to go near the gender issue, Ooh, don't play the gender card. I've been quite conservative and didn't want to be branded conservative in the sense of reticent rather than, you know, liberal conservative mm. um, because I am very passionate about it and in the corporate sense there's a whole set of answers there. It hasn't really affected me. I've never really thought about it. I hadn't really recognised that there was a gender issue at play in the political sphere and in the media, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Strong in political. Very, very strong. Not so much in corporate. Well, it is there in corporate. I just wasn't aware of it. I suppose it's that insidious thing that you don't realise. And I had a client approach me who's now a very good friend. In fact, we've decided to be sisters. <laughs> she approached me, Helinka Panzera. She's a diversity and inclusion specialist and a speaker on the topic of um, all, all things diversity and inclusion. And... Uh, an authority, she approached me with a manuscript and said, can you help me, can you edit this? And it was reading through and I was, hang on, this this to me sounds like a rant, you know, everything that is being said, I could say that women do the same thing because I've worked for them. I said, you know, you really need to back this up with some evidence. Well, yeah. she's a market researcher, managing director of her own market research company. She statted every single s- sentence in the book 
So it is real and it is there and it really gave me an education. That was a pivotal moment meeting Helinka. Yes. And understanding, oh, all this stuff that I had actually thought I just... It was just rhetoric or... And, I mean, you do get drawn into this idea that, oh, that's just a feminist. Oh, come on, get a a life and get a sense of humour. All that casual sexism, that undiagnosed sexism that goes on that we're all guilty of, men, women and children, um, and it's the same with the racism argument. We're not even conscious that we do it. Once your eyes have been opened to that, oh, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a bit galling. And I suppose in the corporate sense, yes, now I realise mm. that that's there. I see how the young, ambitious men get treated differently to the young, ambitious women, and that's absolutely allowed to be ambitious in the corporate sense, but the men get a lot easier ride mm. the white male. And it stops at a certain age yes. as well. Yes, yeah. absolutely, yeah, and... The, what happens to women? I mean, this is the the profile conversation about you know I came from nowhere. Well, I've had, I've had a previous marriage, yeah, and so I've had a maiden name and now two married names. So how does one build profile when you've had three names? You know, it's that sort of thing. It's yes. very disarming. Yes, we have to step out. I have not stopped working with three kids. I've been working in the hospital. I've taken a three day old baby into G in a pram. You know, it's like I haven't stopped working at any point. But yes. I take my breaks when I can so it's not a whinge yes but a lot of people do have to stop working and I see what happens when they stop mm. you know someone does slot in yeah, and you can't work right. part your part-time is mm. not part-time it's a full-time job with half the money you yeah. know and yeah. those sorts of things you really do see it so yeah being a woman is very different but we manage very mm. well mm. and so you've seen women around you has it affected you personally like the gender issue no look I don't you don't know what you don't know no I think it's as many benefits as there are and I think men would say the same thing and this is a big part of the issue too is that men you know particularly the new men is what I think Link has returned them in her book the, the new men um, they face exactly the same issues. They want to be parents too. They don't yes. want to be branded as the, you know, the guy that's having to play golf all the time and, you yes. know, at work all day. They don't want that any more than the women can mm. do it or want it, you know. Mm. And some women do want it and some men, I mean, my husband does most of the caring at home and he works from home. Yes. I'm the one that goes out there doing all the, you know, silly dressing up in suits stuff. Yes. So, and that works perfectly for us. <laughs> and then people don't know how to brand the, the men. That's right. They, they yeah. get confused. Why is that man with a, with a child in the supermarket during school hours yeah yeah how's dad oh gosh and don't they get heat at the school pickup and the kinder we're just ignoring poor poor guys well the cold shoulder thing we have a funny funny situation and this is no disrespect to the kinder teachers because i'm sure they get you know a bit jaded after a while too but we were living um, in two places so down on the coast and in a city flat when i was running an on-site job at bhp billiton and we'd be staying in melbourne of an evening, in all in bed by 8 o'clock. We'd all be up by 6. I'd start in the office at 7. Rob and the kids would be going down back to the coast at 7 to turn up to kinder at 8.30 to then drop the other two at the other school. And the kinder teachers would he'd turn up and they'd say, oh, Robin, didn't you know it was yellow day today? And you just think you have no idea the logistics, what, we what we've had to do, school uniforms, lunches, lunch orders, books, bags for three different kids yeah. <laughs> for an hour and a half yeah. in the car doing homework. And I miss the, I miss the dress up day. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got off topic, but that, it's been interesting. Um, what is, oh, because I work in human resources and recruitment, I always ask this question, uh, what has it meant to have the right team around you? 
As again, as a consultant, it's very different because your team changes all the time. Um, and I think the strongest team I've ever had around me was my first consultancy role, where it was you know a few senior consultants and the MD from whom you learn. Yes, you know, and every so was used to be in the typing pool days almost. That was yeah, yeah. that sort of. Team it had that hierarchy. Yeah. That's right, very much so. And the best advice I got from the receptionist was learn to type because then you get your stuff a whole lot quicker because you're the lowest on the ladder. It's like that's good advice. Um, I think it's incredibly uh, energising and it gives you a lot of strength when you've got a good team around you. Um, Conversely, when you're surrounded by sharks, which is more often than not as a consultant, you have to tiptoe through those tulips because somebody's job is threatened when you're in there on a particular project and it's never about the job. It's always about the position to the people on site. Whereas the consultant is hired to do the job, so trying to get the job done yes. <laughs> despite the politics is kind of that defines what I do. So in that sense, it's really interesting to create the team around you and yes. make sure that you're managing the emotions, the, the sort of ambitions, mm. the watching who's managing up, who's my natural tendency is to manage down. Yes, Every time I'm just the natural mum thing yes, and I forget to manage up and I just get <laughs> slammed if I'm not careful. So, yeah, I do have to be really aware of that and yeah, that yeah, team creation thing is important. And so you've, you've been consulting quite a lonely role, I guess, you know, the one-off, yeah. um, a team or a team of Stephanie Asher Consulting or yeah, yeah. whatever it There's might be. a few be. of us now. <laughs> We're oh, growing. <laughs> And what about in politics? Did you start that just solo husband and you know, yeah, a, yeah, few, husband, a few loyal friends, followers? Support, yeah. <laughs> it is funny. Yeah. So how did the team around you grow from there? Was it? Yeah, you got a little bit of public eye and people just automatically went, I'm going to be following Stephanie Asher, I want to help you. How did you grow that team? Yes. Because it takes a team to run for, you know, any sort of party in any yeah, sort of role. It does, and it's very fun. It's probably um, symptomatic of me being used to working independently, but and the difference between a paid team and a voluntary team yes. is huge as well because people, oh, I'll help. And the one thing that you really need is help with signage, and it sounds so pedestrian because like, it is. can you put my sign up in can your you front put, yard? Yes, and can you go and get signs in shops for me? And here's... You know, half a dozen core flutes. Can you please go and knock on some doors of some high-profile fences and just ask them? No one will do that. I'll tell you now, <laughs> no one will do that because it's really hard. Yeah. And the things that people want to do is virtually push you into a crowd of people and say, talk to them. <laughs> no, it's really interesting. It's you know, handy. Letterboxing people are very good at, but I kind of think, no, it's, I don't want stuff in my letterbox, so I don't do that. Yes. So it's a really good question and an interesting question. Yeah. Databases and it's the boring stuff that you need help with and yeah. when you want volunteers to help, they, they just don't disappear want to do fairly quickly. <laughs> They're very good at keeping your morale up though. Yes. And lovely for having coffees and chatting and, mm. yeah, keeping you, you boosted and helping out on the day on mm. that but that was the big big difference yeah. the mayoral election was a mail out so that wasn't it didn't require people to actually be at the polling booths and getting people to be at polling booths was fantastic and I did actually have I paid somebody to help coordinate that and it yeah. was amazing the people that came out of the woodwork to dedicate a few hours on That's a Saturday wonderful. it was really nice yeah, yeah so and I would say from the first election round, how many candidates were there for the first mayoral Nine. election? Nine. Mm. 20, 16, 16 the in the second round. 
Do you, I would say, because we're heading into the topic this year of International Women's Day Inspiring Change, yes, yeah. and I think when people saw the first mayoral candidates, they went, oh, yep, yeah, know them, know them, know Oh, who's she? Yeah. Know them, know them, know them. And then you rose meteorically to fame <laughs> um, almost, you know, and Keith Fagg, who, who got the, the, the result the first time around, yeah extremely well known amongst the community business general community and then stephanie came second and i I was i was wowed by that and i think as a result so many more people did actually step forward and you inspired that change because you went no one's stepping forward i'll step forward And look what happened 12 months That's later. That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah there was a To whole a lot of group. people's chagrin, I think, too. <laughs> but I was right. pleased, exactly right. That was the driving force is, come on, this is not that hard. Yeah. It can't be that hard. Yeah. You know, I'm prepared to fall on my face and have a go. And I'm sure all the people that ran the second time would say I'd do it differently and a bit better next time because it is that fear of the unknown. Once you've done it, yes. it's really, well, oh, is that all it was? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Gee, I had my time over. It went really quickly, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you see yourself have, having inspired that change or inspired change in other areas in, uh, in what you've done? Oh, I don't know. I'll probably leave other people to say whether I have or not. I hope so. I hope She's very humble. Particularly I hope that women, one of the nicest pieces of feedback I had in the first campaign actually and again in the well I saw it, the result of it in the second, a lot of my followers on Twitter and those sorts of things are men with, with daughters. And the feedback came in, you've inspired my daughters. It's so nice that for them to have a role model and a goosey saying. Yeah, I, I have too. Oh, wow, I, I don't see myself as a role model. I'm, you know, yeah. probably a bit irreverent to be a good role model. But just the idea that they don't have to, you know, take their clothes off and play football. God, what was I listening to? Someone telling me about a lingerie gridiron or something. <laughs> so, you are kidding me. Um, so, yeah, just to have <laughs> a role model who you hope is achievable like yes. accessible you know i'm no i'm nothing special it's really just a case of well everybody can have a go yeah. just have a go yeah. yeah no i think it's fantastic and if if people just hold on to that truism in its own right yes. just have a go have a go and be yourself yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i did a presentation to a bunch of um aspiring leaders in the bowen community leaders program through the committee for geelong and i said to them just refuse to be frightened you know, that's the big key message, refuse to be frightened by anything because really the media tries to make us frightened and, you know, we're too, too scared to let our kids walk home from school and we're too scared to do this, we're too scared to do that. It's like really just refuse to be frightened because you, it does your head in for a yes. start but it stops you doing so many things too. That's right. And I think that fear of public speaking was a huge barrier for people and anyone who went to school with me knows I'm cripplingly shy as a kid. Oh, I would be sick for days thinking of frightened terrified of having to stand up in front of the class so it's just something you do and then you get better at it (laughs) and the feedback when you did sort of hold the podium was you know that she's so natural and (laughs) prepared that's the thing be prepared as well (laughs) it helps when you're a writer yes i think because you can write in a tone that sounds like you are completely natural i mean i read every single word Mm. you know and i tend to do that when i do a speech i'm still not quite fluent enough I've got better with interviews and radio (laughs) but you can see I go off track and I babble and I don't get my key messages out but when I'm delivering a speech to a time then it's it's, it has to be absolutely written and read yeah Yeah. and I think it's the art of reading it and not looking like you're reading is useful too (laughs) I think a few politicians need to learn that one yeah um and reading in a tone that is a 
a speaking tone instead. So Very good. So tell us about some of your current projects and passions. Oh, sustainability is my thing. You know, sustainability reporting is what I tend to do as a, as a job. Like that's how it packages up into something that is a consulting gig. But it's it's really as I'm working on a first-time sustainability report for a big client at the moment and uh, just breaking down that impression that sustainability is about tree hugging bead waving hippies and it's all about the environment too no it's social sustainability it's economic sustainability it really is that will we still exist in 50 years On across a whole lot pillars. of levels yep. yeah it's yep. human rights it's you know absenteeism figures and staff culture it's all of those things you know that from mm. from hr i mean a business isn't going to survive without its people quite possibly more importantly than its impact on where it's drawing its water from. And, you know, obviously it depends. Different organisations have different emphases. Mm. But, yeah, so sustainability reporting is a huge one for me. Mm. And uh, that's what I was doing at BHP Billet. And that was I had a huge ethical challenge. Ooh, working for a mining company. Ooh, don't know about that. You know, they're bad guys, aren't they? But in sustainability reporting, I thought that's the opportunity to make a difference you yes. know, and understand better how they actually do it. And, and it really did... You know, I suppose as a PR, you do believe your own bullshit after a while, but you can create and challenge and, and sweat that as well and say, are we really doing that, you know? Mm. And because at, at a level like that, when it is a global leader, any organisation, GE, the same thing with the financial They can't be it, seen to not be upholding. They are under so much scrutiny mm. that they don't do the wrong thing because we all know when they do. And yeah. it's also that idea of anything that they do can change the world. You know, that's that's huge. I mean, Marius Kloppers was the first one to come out and put climate change on the radar and it's like, yes, thank you, climate science, let's not argue that. You know, that's not the discussion. So those Oh, I could ask you a question. How do you feel about that in the face of the current current party in play? <laughs> well, this is why it makes it really difficult to join a party. Yeah. Because while I have huge sympathies and I agree wholeheartedly with the Liberal Party on a lot of things and the Labor Party on a whole lot of things as well, clearly the Greens too, it's like... But you've all got flaws that I can't quite swallow. Yeah. You know, it's it's like I just can't say that I agree with that. You know, because I work for myself, I don't have the same passion of I'm, social justice is a big thing for me, but not necessarily in the workplace because I don't have any protection as yes. a worker. If I don't have any work, I don't get two years' notice. I just get see you later. <laughs> and the number of times I've probably done my best work with a client and you just say give amazing accolades back and I have the I've got a little legend file where I print out the nice emails people send me about the great work and then I never get another gig from them again (laughs) and it's just one of those things you think well I don't know maybe they've moved on or someone else has come in and got there's no rhyme or reason to it it is quite random and you think well that's my experience so you know, and then again, the whole sustainability thing makes me very green. So, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I'm just a mixed up bag of yeah, yes, normal. I think. And you mentioned that state politics is yeah the next thing. Yeah, so, well, that's the one I haven't yeah, tried. So right. why not? <laughs> and everyone said, oh, you know, don't worry about the federal election. You should go in the state election. But looking at um, the different layers of government. And so you're, am, you're located in the Ballerine and it will be for a Ballerine right. seat. No, no, upper no. house. Okay. So Western District, Western Victoria. Okay. Yes. So the whole lot, one of five, one of the five seats mm. um, yeah, that covers basically Horsham, Ballarat um, border, uh, right out to the South Australian border down to Warrnambool, including Geelong and the Ballerine. So a big, big area to cover. Yes. But I also think that it's a really diverse and interesting area and I know quite a bit I'm quite passionate about the rural thing I'm 
got a current fascination with Wagyu beef breeding <laughs> just because I've been talking to somebody about it. And so, yeah, the whole farming, yeah. agribusiness picture because we've turned our garden into a farm as well. So my husband's yes. all organic gardening and lots of things. So, yeah, it's a really good mix of interests. Um, Wonderful. Then, yeah, and the state, the state system is actually where things get done or as I realised when I was running in the federal campaign and the mayoral campaign. The two can't exist without the other. Yeah, well, at the, the way it is, I mean, people can, you can debate should we have three layers of government or not. Well, we have, so let's just go with it. But I, I found that everything that I wanted to talk about and everything that the community is incensed about, not everything but most things, the things that are really touch points, you know, transport and the health system and Port, where is it, um, Port Arlington Safe Harbour and all those things, they're all state issues. Yes. And it's the implementation level that it's all stopping at and I kind of like getting things done. So, yeah. so we're, we're, yeah. we're going for state. Yeah, why not? Well, I wish you all the very best. Well, thank you. Stephanie, you are an inspiration and you know, this humble lady across from me <laughs> is just going, oh, I just do what I do and inspiring a bunch of people, not just women but anyone who's going – you know, I want to stand for something and you've just said today, just step forward mm. and I just thank you for sharing your story. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Marie. What a natural presenter Stephanie is. Um, I loved catching up with her. Um, she's got a lot of opinions which makes her quite interesting and diverse um, and she stands for a lot and she she really wants to um bring about sustainability um, in a whole host of um, enterprise, not just in the corporate arena but in the community arena, in the government arena. Um, and so, yeah, she was really fascinating and you can tell she's a wordsmith because there were so many stories that she was able to interweave into the interview. Um, it was fantastic. I always say, what did I learn? So what I learned from um, Stephanie's um, background is her pivotal moment was choosing a career at 15 or 17. Um, at that stage, that shows maturity beyond her years. Um, if you cast your mind back to when you were 15, not many people are betting down their careers at that age. And Stephanie was thinking already at the young age, what's going to work well with a family life. Um, again, when I was 15, I didn't even think I was going to have kids. I knew one day long in the far distant future I would, but it was something that I did not consider. So she contemplated that quite early. Um, and then for her, as she um, moved and changed from um, being in a public relations company into a publishing company and then into her own um, consultancy, uh, she said that when she was around that fantastic consulting team in her first consulting role. Um, she found it incredibly energizing. So with the right team, it can be incredibly energizing. Sounds like that's been a bit tarnished of recent times because she's also been aware of the sharks that can surround you as well, whether it's her going into a business in a consulting role where usually the thought of consultant going into corporate um, has everyone on edge anyway. Um, but also in the political environment in which she's been, she's had her eyes wide opened um, in her political sphere as well. So that was interesting. The other one which 
she plays it down, but she's a role model because she has come from um, obscurity, really, in the Geelong landscape and now shown that, hey, you put your foot forward, what what's the worst that can happen? And she's actually evidence of you know, some of the best things that can happen. Uh, she ran for the mayor when uh, there were nine delegates for mayor, came second. And I would say that she's a key player in the number of mayoral candidates increasing from nine to 16. Just recently in 2013, when we went to um, the polls again to uh, elect our directly elected mayor. And so that's fantastic to see that if people have seen her give it a go, that they've been prepared to give it a go. Uh, she's also, um, she is an access- accessible person, um, very natural. And so when people can see role models who are accessible, then they are inspiring as well. And the final tip that I got was just have a go. Be yourself and refuse to be frightened by anything. Really good takeaways. So I hope you gained something. If anything, you got an understanding of um, Stephanie's platforms um, on certain subjects, but how it will um, be dependent on the subject. She's not confined to one political standing on certain platforms. So she doesn't follow the crowd um, and everything has its own merit and she will like to flesh out those things by merit. Uh, I wish her all the very best as she runs for the upper house in the state um, political arena later this year um, for the Western Districts. And um, at least as she's running, you're getting more of an insight into the person behind the name. Our next podcast sees us launching part three of our International Women's Day series as I interview Vicki Shelton, the manager of the Department of Engineering Services for the City of Greater Geelong. She manages 75 engineering and technical roles within the department through I think it's four or five direct reports. She's really good to have a chat to, a very practical lady and has just been committed, one, to her discipline, two, to the council and three, to the engineering community. So stay tuned for that one or log on and make sure you download that podcast. Really interesting, particularly for the engineering community, just to hear her story. So how are you going with your own team? Have you got all of your ducks in a row? Is everyone performing on task to your requirements with the right attitudes and attributes, singing to the same hymn sheet, we could say, um, or are you challenged with one or a few members of the team? If you need to have any team reviews or if you'd like to do some um, work with Harvest Human Resources to investigate further, we'd be happy to receive your call. You can contact us on 1300 363 128 or perhaps it's it's over and you've gone, no, that was the square peg round hole um, and it's time to move on. If you do need recruitment assistance uh, and recruitment support, again, feel free to, to get in touch and we'd love to help you out. You have been listening to Harvest Recruitment Seeds for Success show with Marie Harris. Want to cultivate your employment prowess? Then visit harvesthr.com.au. 